Um, but this, this, you know, Jesse's a college director, right? And he, uh, and he, his job is to minister and to love you guys and bother you guys and stalk you guys and all that stuff. And I hope that you guys feel loved by him. Um, but this retreat was also his brainchild. Uh, the way that the Lord kind of led him and the way that it was also confirmed in my heart simply uh, with the idea of uh, being unashamed for the gospel, right? Unashamed for the gospel. Uh, not to say that you guys are cowarding away or anything like that, but I think that unashamed or being, I should say, being ashamed is manifested in very particular ways in our lives. In ways that you may not kind of be aware or cognizant of, but sure enough, there are certain things that in your life, the way that you live, the way that you speak, the way that you think, and even your simple kind of mannerisms kind of reflect a, a, a shame in terms of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Okay? So, um... So it's called unashamed. Turn to your neighbor and say, be unashamed. <coughs> as long as you have faith, you will have doubts. As long as you have faith, you will have doubts. Okay, I have in my hand a $20 bill. Who believes it? Right here. In this mitt. I got a $20 bill. Who believes me? Anyone? Okay, DP, Dan, you believe me? Well, here's the thing. I'm about to destroy your faith. Okay, I'm going to destroy your faith because here we go. Oh, snap. I do have a $20 bill. I ain't giving it to you, right? <laughs> the reason why I'm destroying your faith is because now you know that, in fact, I was holding $20, a $20 bill in my hands. Now that you see the bill, you don't need to believe that the bill is there. Now that you see the bill, you don't have to believe or have faith if it's, if it's there or not. Why? Because faith is required when we have doubts. But when knowledge comes, when it becomes factual, faith almost goes away. Now I want you to kind of hear me out on this. Have you guys ever noticed that in your Christian walk, okay, in your journey, in your seeking of the Lord... Um, that God, he does not more often, does not let you remain as you are spiritually. Right? Like there's constant. How many of you guys think that 2018 is going to be like such an amazing year? It's going to be easy, peasy, like the grass is greener. Here's, 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 the, here's the thing. It's not. We have this false understanding that as a Christian, it's going to get easier. But it doesn't get easier, does it? There's actually new challenges. And so for a middle schooler thinking, I can't wait to get out of middle school because I, once I go to high school, it's going to be so much cooler, so much better. Uh-uh. High school also kind of sucks. The challenges are different, but there are still challenges. And then the high schoolers, they think once I go to college and I move away from my parents, life is going to be so much better. Some of you guys are those freshmen thinking that. How easy is life? Well, it's not that easy. Yeah, there are certain fun parts, new parts, but there are also newer challenges too with that. Right? Newer challenges too. Why? Because God, he will not allow you to remain in your current spiritual state. There will always be a struggle. You will always get hit with some sort of crazy situation that really kind of pushes you. And we're thinking, man, why can't we just be at peace? Why can't we just live comfortably and be at ease? And the reason is, is because the more God pushes you, and the more God stresses your life, the more that you will require to be dependent on him. Right? The more you will have to seek him, the more you will have to trust him, the more that you will have to have your faith grow in him. And so you're going to get challenged. You're going to get challenged. In other words, in your journey of faith, you're going to hit challenges that are going to make you doubt. You guys tracking with me here, right? Okay. So you'll have questions. And the answer to that really is, is that's okay to have doubts. It's okay. 
So here's the thing. John 20 begins with the account of Jesus rising from the dead. So think about that for a second. Who here has ever seen? Okay, um, so I, I found out, do you know Logan Paul? So I think everyone here knows, right? Now they know. Uh, so I didn't really know, I know of the guy, but never followed him or anything like that. I, I tend to not go, um, I try not to waste my life. But, um, but it was brought to my attention that he did something just horrible, right? So he went to some Japanese suicide force, and there he actually uh, uh, videotaped or recorded a, a hanging body, right? A hanging body. And so he did something uh, quite horrible. And so my point is this. He's seen this dead body, and I think millions of people also have seen it through his video too. I don't know if you've seen it either. I've actually um, seen dead bodies in real life, uh, and a lot of them happened in Southeast Asia when I was doing my missionary stuff in DTS. I actually saw someone's body explode underneath a car. I also saw someone uh, get hit by a car and completely snap their, their neck, and they died as I was kind of walking past them. I've seen someone, uh, a thief, who tried to rob someone's moped. And that may seem like a silly thing, but in Cambodia, a moped is someone's livelihood. That's what they sleep on. That's what they use as a taxi. So it is crucial that that person keeps their moped, but there's a thief who tried to steal it. And so because they don't believe in the justice system in Cambodia, because what how it happened is that if a police captures that thief, that thief will go get sent to jail. They would have to pay literally a $1 fine, and then the next day they go free, only to recommit that crime or other crimes. And so what tends to happen is a village like this would actually take matters into their own hands. And so there was a huge mob, and it happened right in front of my missionary house. Because we heard just noise to the, to the max. People shouting, screaming, and they found this guy, and they chased after him, and they started whooping up on him. They started punching him, beating him up. On, I'm talking about a mob of at least 50, 60 people. Women and children included. This guy was you can see he was completely bloody, completely split open, and he was seeking for help. And you can see, it was, this is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. Not only was he getting beat up and literally murdered at that moment, but then there was a hush in the audience, and they all kind of created a circle around this body, this thief, who was crying out for mercy. And then this little girl, who probably was around the age of Ada, three or four, she walks in, literally with pigtails, and everyone's just hushed and quiet. And there's this person is shaking, convulsing, because he's literally, his body split open, and a girl, little girl smacks him across the face. And everyone starts applauding. And she walks back. They get him, they tie him to the end of a pickup truck, and they drag him up and down the potholed, glass-filled road, and they finally throw him alive in a cremation, in a crematory, from what I heard from the, from the taxi driver. So, death is real. When someone dies, it's period. It's done. Wouldn't you agree? It's horrible. But death is final. John 20 begins with the account of Jesus rising from the dead. This is, this is unheard of. This is, this is ridiculous. This is crazy, unfathomable. And so I want you guys to let that sink in for a second. Jesus was dead, and now he is alive. Jesus was not breathing, and now he is alive. Okay? So he wasn't resuscitated. <coughs> His heart didn't momentarily stop. 
Nor did Jesus have some near-death experience like you might read in some tabloids, right? Saying, I went to heaven. Have you heard those stories? Right? Jesus was dead, buried for three days, and then he came back to life with a brand new body, better than the old one. And so here's the question I want to pose to all of you. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? Do you believe that? Because to believe that is to know that is at the heart of the Christian faith. To believe that Jesus died and rose from the grave. It is impossible to be a Christian if you do not believe that. Now here's the thing. Just like the illustration I gave you before, sometimes we doubt. Maybe it's not about the resurrection. Maybe some other stuff about your faith. Sometimes we doubt. Because how can a fantastic claim like that be really true? How can Jesus with two loaves of bread and a couple of fish actually feed tens of thousands of people or thousands of people? How can that be true? Is it even possible for something like that to happen? Are we actually arresting our intellect in order to believe in something so sensational? You know, maybe college <coughs> or your skeptical friends have made you kind of question your beliefs about who God is and what he's done. And I'm sure, who here has a professor who loves the sound of their own voice. They love the sound of their own voice and they love making sure that you know that Christianity is just a bunch of BS. Right? Maybe you have a professor. If you didn't, then God bless you. God has given you grace. Because from my experience, uh, from what I've heard from a lot of colleges, from a lot of students, from large, especially large universities, a lot of liberal arts schools too, man, they get that, that kind of stuff shoved down their throat. So maybe you had a professor who just made you doubt, have you ever agonized over that doubt? I want you, I want you guys to listen up. My first point is this, okay? <clears throat> Present your doubts to Jesus because he's not afraid to answer your doubts. Present your doubts to Jesus because he's not afraid of your doubts. Okay, so you guys know I got a wife, right? And she's got a sweet tooth. She loves chocolate. Especially dark chocolate with almonds, hint, hint. So if you ever want a gift or something, that's what's up, okay? But another thing she really loves is cotton candy. Cotton candy. Who loves cotton candy? Gina, all right, you get another one. <laughs> it's not my fault she's the first one to lift her hands up, okay? I'm quite impartial. All right, so she loves cotton candy. Now, for me, here's the thing. Cotton candy is okay. It's okay. But I don't see the big hoopla over it. Why? Because it's just sugar. It just has a momentary taste of sweetness. But really, all it is, is air. It's just air, right? So here's the thing. Cotton candy, I think, really kind of describes what many people's Christianity is like. Like, it looks impressive. Have you seen on YouTube that guy who dances with the cotton candy? Like, he, he looks like he's stoned out of his mind, right? But, he, like, he's doing something pretty crazy. And then I also saw this one. I don't know why I've seen already two YouTube uh, videos of cotton candy. But there's one guy who made, like, an amazing elaborate, like, flower. And it looked amazing. But still, I'm like, eh, right? So there's these amazing things, and it's impressive. It tastes sweet, I'm sure, but when you try to bite into it, sure, there's sweetness, but there's no substance. As a parent, I would never give my children cotton candy as a way to sustain their health, okay? I would never do that. There's no substance. It's nothing but flavored water or flavored air. Now, do you guys all remember Thomas from the Bible? Here's the cool thing. The more I read about this guy, the more I actually like him. I do. 
By the way, every time I read uh, this, this passage, I keep saying Thomas. <laughs> it's like screwed up my head. Uh, <clears throat> why? Why do I like him more and more? Because Thomas, he does not want a superficial religion. In fact, I don't think Thomas would ever get, be caught eating cotton candy. I don't think he, he enjoyed cotton candy. Now, I know that we've given Thomas a bad name. What's his full name? What do people say his full name is? Doubting Thomas, right? How horrible would that be to have a name like that? In fact, it is so factual that it is in the dictionary, Doubting Thomas. And what does that mean? It means a chronic skeptic. That's, that's the definition. Like, how horrible, if, he, if he, like he's in heaven right now, and if he's like open Webster Dictionary, he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, that's what I'm known for. That's horrible, right? I'm doubting Thomas. Like, that's, I'm a, I'm a chronic skeptic. That's horrible. It defines someone who habitually doubts, someone who's chronically skeptic. But what's interesting is that through Thomas's experience, the Lord would teach us something about the down-to-earth substance of faith, or more specifically, how Jesus dealt with Thomas's doubts, and therefore, how Jesus will deal with your doubts, too. Okay? Because we're all doubting sometimes. We all have doubts in our lives. So, Amongst yourselves. Okay. Uh, whatever. Okay. <clears throat> so I, I want you guys to hear me out because there's two things or two reasons <coughs> I believe the doubts of Thomas were really did not threaten his face, faith and did not threaten anything to Jesus. And so hopefully this will encourage you because in your journey, you're going to face doubts too. And so here's really my first one under that category, and that is that Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's doubts because Jesus knew Thomas. Jesus is not afraid of your confusion and your skepticism and your concerns and your questions and doubts because Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. That's a good thing. Okay, so, again, the first impression that you have of Thomas is that he's a chronic skeptic, right? After all, that's what Webster's Dictionary says. But what I want to do today is I want to reintroduce you all to him, okay? So John 14, where you've all probably memorized that be those beautiful words from verse 6. John 14, 6. Can someone say it? Come on, say it. Peter, go ahead. Yeah, I heard you mouthing it. Next. Okay, yeah, so that's what you were mouthing, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just playing with you. Don't get hurt. Okay, right? So, we all know those beautiful words. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through, right? Very good. So, I want to read verses 1 through 4. So, so, a few verses before that, verse 6. Let not your hearts, this is from John 14, 1 through 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where, I'm, uh, that where I am, you may 
be also, and you know the way to where I am going. And so here we have, after Jesus said this kind of this, this interesting string of words, <coughs> some of the disciples are kind of mesmerized by how awesome these words were. They're like, oh, you're going to prepare a place, and it's going to be like awesome, and I don't know what, and remember, they're thinking of this whole like kingdom mentality and all this stuff, and it's, like, it's going to be crazy and all this stuff. But then look at Thomas at verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Right? Like he just says that. Jesus says, this is where I'm going. He's like, where? And Jesus is like, no, no, hold on. Where am I going? Jesus, can you show me the way? Like he's very just blunt, isn't he? Don't you kind of already love him already? Right? His questions, here it is. They were not skeptical. It was not skeptical. His questions, his doubting, his curiosity were honest. It was honest. And so Thomas's questions became the occasion for Jesus' wonderful teaching about how he meets us. Jesus, he meets us in our lostness. Jesus meets us in our delusion after being lied to so often. Jesus meets us in the inevitable lifelong struggle, struggle against death and suffering. But that's not all. Turn to John chapter 11. Here we find Thomas again. Okay, so get this. A little background. Jesus departed from Judea because people were trying to kill him. So he left. He, he fled. And so now Jesus hears of his good friend Lazarus who is ill, who is sick. And so as he makes preparations to go back to see him, his friend, his disciples argue with him in verse 7 through 8. This is, this is from John 11. Then after this, he said to his disciples, hey, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, teacher or rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going to go there again? But then Thomas speaks up. He speaks in favor of going back with Jesus. In verse 16, he goes, so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, hey, let us go with him so that we can die. Like, let's, Jesus, I'll go with you so we can die together. Right? Some might say, uh, Thomas, you're kind of crazy. You're a psycho. Or they would say, why would you say that to Jesus? Like, like Jesus fled from that area because there, was the, there were attempts on his life. And then now you're saying, hey, go back, Jesus, and I'll go with you so we can go die. So people might say, I don't know, Thomas, maybe you're, you're kind of messed up. You're a bit of a pessimist, assuming that you're already going to die. But I don't think Thomas was being a pessimist. I don't think Thomas was being a Debbie Downer. In fact, I think Thomas was being quite brilliant here because you see, he was not being pessimistic about the death and the life of Jesus or what would occur. He was actually committed to Jesus. That's all he focused on. Do you hear that? Like he didn't, he didn't know, he didn't care about what could happen. Yeah, they could die or they might live. But the point was, I want to be with you, Jesus. He wasn't being pessimistic. He wasn't being a Debbie Downer. He wasn't trying to discourage his disciples. He was saying, Jesus, I want to be with you. And if you, if you were to die, I want to die with you. And if you were to survive, I want to survive with you. But regardless, Jesus, I want to be with you. It was not pessimism. It was commitment. Are you guys hearing me? Can I hear an amen to this? So look, Thomas may have questions. And I believe his faith was kind of small, too. But man, do not question his willingness to put it all on the line. Right? 
Do not question his loyalty. Thomas was ready to die for Christ and to die with Christ. Thomas was not a cotton candy disciple. He wasn't. <coughs> I think he was a bit rough around the edges. He was raw. He was, dis- he was honest. And he was committed. So, back to our text, John 20. So Thomas had seen Jesus die. And when Thomas saw the death of his Savior, it just about ripped his heart out of his chest. But he understood what happened. He understood that Jesus died. He understood that he had to die. Then three days later, his disciples came to him and said, Thomas, man, while you were away, we saw the Lord. So now, put yourself in Thomas's shoes. Remember, this is a guy who hates cotton candy. He hates fluff. He hates this kind of, you know, sensationalism. He hates this type of hype. It is not his cup of tea, okay? It is not his cup of tea. This kind of stuff may be considered reality for you, but man, this whole thing about Jesus is alive, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. It's not my cup of tea. It is not, you may be deluded and you may live your life in delusion, but I will not let your delusion become my reality. Okay, that's what Thomas is saying. Truth is hard, but let's not kid ourselves. Verse 25, Thomas says this, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Look, Jesus likes Thomas. Jesus knows Thomas. Jesus knows Thomas's commitment. He, Jesus knows Thomas's honesty. Jesus knows his bluntness. Jesus was not afraid of his doubts, and neither is he afraid of yours. It's not about being skeptical for the sake of being skeptical, but rather it's about being honest in your doubts. Be honest in your doubts. Look, Thomas was willing to die with Jesus. His questions of doubt. Right? He doubted. But those questions of doubt, it came from that kind of heart. A heart that was willing to die for Jesus. A heart that was willing to commit to Jesus. A heart that said, Jesus, I'm all for you. I'm desperate for you. My heart is your heart and your heart is mine. See, his doubts, his concerns, his curiosity, his questions came from that kind of place. And that's okay. If your questions, however... If your questions, your doubts, however, are a form of rebellion against God, as in it is an attempt to evade truth, then you're in trouble. If you don't want truth, I don't want to hear it, and so you, your doubts come from a place like that, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. You see, God, he knows it all. And God, he knows when your doubts come from a place of earnestness. And he also knows when you are simply suppressing the truth because, here's it, here it is, the <coughs> because you are unwilling to live with the implications of that truth. Because to live with that truth would mean that you would have to change your life and you don't want to change your life. It would mean that you would have to surrender your life and you do not want to surrender your life to Christ. It would mean that you would have to commit your life to him and you do not want to commit your life. So therefore, you are doubting. And it comes from a place of skepticism and it's coming from a place of rebellion. It's coming from a place of, I don't want to know the truth. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are times when we can doubt and we're like, it's not honest. It's simply about... I'm doubting you because I actually don't want you to be my Lord. 
I actually don't want to live for you. I don't want you to, yeah, I'll accept your salvation, but I certainly don't want you to be the master over my life. So there's this rebellion, and so that doubting, that skepticism, that curiosity is coming from a bad place. It's coming from a place of rebellion rather than honesty. Because honesty would be, Lord, I do want to know more of you. And whatever truth you do tell me, I do want to embrace it. I do want to live a life that's changed. If you live, if your doubt comes from a place of rebellion, that is, not, that is not honest or dishonest. It is, in fact, rebellious. It is cowardly, and it's offensive to the Lord. But I want you guys to hear me out. But if your questions are honest, come forth with your questions. Come to him with an honest desire. Come to him with a deep humility to learn his truth. If you go with honesty like Thomas, Jesus, he's not going to slap you. He's not going to rebuke you. Instead, he's going to listen to the questions of your heart, and he will address the doubts of your mind. He will speak to you. He will reveal himself to you. I think many of us right now are fearful of how to approach Jesus. Maybe it's because we, we've grown up in a kind of an Asian church where love is very legalistic. It's like, do this and don't do that. If you don't do this, then you're going to be punished and all this stuff. So there's kind of that legalism, a legalistic idea, but... I think a lot of us are fearful of approaching Jesus because it's like if we think, if we come to Jesus with these doubts, it's like almost as if we're admitting that we don't have faith. You get what I'm saying? Like the moment that you question Jesus and it's coming from a sincere place, the moment that you do that, it's like, it's like you're denying the fact that you're actually a believer. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I guess I'm not a Christian. Have you guys ever thought that? I've been there. I've questioned, I've questioned my entire ministry sometimes. It's crazy. So I don't want you guys to think that way. Every person from Billy Graham to the disciples of Jesus, they all face doubts at one point in their lives. Doubt does not mean there's no faith. When you doubt, that does not mean that there's no faith. Doubt means that there can only be more faith. You hear me? When you struggle in your journey, in your in your trekking with Christ and there are things that you wrestle with and that you toil with good it will mature you just like a butterfly needs to spread out its wings and break through the cocoon in order for the blood to flow through and so the wings can spread and soar and it can fly you see your struggle will only grow your faith your doubts and your honesty in your doubts will strengthen you so go to Jesus with your questions go to him from a place of humility be humble and honesty, and he'll lead you to his truth. Secondly, Jesus, he's not afraid of your questions because he knows that his truth will turn those who honestly doubt into passionate disciples. You know, uh, you know who I um, always love hearing the testimonies of? People who are like really, really bad. I, I, don't, know about, I don't know about if you guys know that, but like I, I've known people who, um, man, they're... They're, they're gangbangers. Um, they, they were in jail many times. Uh, they've done every possible drug. I mean, like, they did it all. They would be considered scum of the earth. But when, but when you see, when the grace of God takes hold of them, they are the most obnoxious Christians. They're, they're so excited for Jesus. You get, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, they get, they're so passionate for God. 
Jesus, you see, those who honestly doubt, he will turn your doubts, your honesty, into passionate disciples. And so at first, it seemed like <coughs> Thomas, he kind of lagged behind others in faith. But guess what? Because he was honest with himself, because he honestly pursued these questions, when he did see the truth, man, he went way ahead of the disciples. Meaning this. In verse 28, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. So you and I, we usually kind of skip that, that response of Thomas, and we go straight to what Jesus said about, Thomas, blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. Right? We kind of skip the, my Lord and my God, and we go to Jesus, like, oh, Jesus, like, Psh, Thomas, you doubting Thomas. I'm going to put you in the dictionary, right? But here it is. I want to bring it back for a second. Thomas's confession of what he said of who Christ is is unparalleled by any confession prior to it. Because when he came to grips to the truth of who Jesus is and his resurrection, Thomas worshipped him. You see, People are confused about what doubt is. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. To say that you doubt does not mean that you don't have faith. And to say that you have faith does not mean that you can't doubt. It is not the opposite. It is a common misconception to think that. There is a big difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief, understand this, is a will... <coughs> is a willful refusal to believe. Okay? That's what unbelief is. It is a willful refusal to believe. It is a deliberate decision to reject God, to deny God, and to suppress his truth. God says in his word, do this, be this. This is who I am. This is what I'm telling you. This is what I'm commanding you. And we say, I don't want it. You see, it is a willful rejection, denial of God and his truth. But that's not what doubt is. That's unbelief, but that's not what doubt is. Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. You see, to doubt is like this. It's like having an open-minded uncertainty. Okay? That's what doubt is. To be open-minded and yet uncertain. You want, do you know what unbelief is? Unbelief is a closed-minded certainty. You tracking with me? Okay. So doubt is being open-minded. God, I still want to hear you. God, I still want to receive your truth from you, but I'm still uncertain as to who you are and what you're trying to do. Unbelief is saying, I am closing myself off of you. I'm rebellious against you, and I reject and deny you, and I'm certain of the way I am and certain that I do not want you. Doubting is serious. It is serious when you doubt. But it's not terminal. Be encouraged. It's serious. You got to go before the Lord. But it's not terminal. If you're doubting, it's forgivable. Even in my own walk with Christ, I have doubted. You know, Moses, he doubted that God could use him to lead his people out of Egypt. Elijah doubted that God would really protect him from the evil Queen Jezebel. Gideon doubted if God would live up to his promise. Even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, the preparer of the way, he even, even he doubted and questioned whether Jesus was really the Messiah after all. And what did God do to them all? When these amazing biblical heroes in the, in the, in the hall of fame or hall of faith, when these men, when they doubted, what did God do? Did he condemn them? 
Did he say, oh, you disgusting, I'm going to send you to hell? No, not at all. All these people in Scripture, they doubted God's character, they doubted God's power, they doubted his presence, and they doubted his promises. There were men and women who were all hesitant. They, were, they questioned God. They were unnerved. But in all that unnervedness and all that kind of hesitancy and uncertainty, they were still honest. They were still seeking. They were still saying, God, I don't know, but can you speak? I'm not sure, but I'm here to hear. Maybe that's you today, and you're in that boat. You're doubting the things of God, who he says he is, and what he says he's done. So how do you move from doubting to forgiveness? John 1 says this. The word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. So what does that mean? That's John 1. It means this. <coughs> if you struggle... With doubt about God, ask yourself, where have you seen God in his body, a.k.a. the church? How has God been active in his word in your life? Reflect, think, remember, how has God been in your face? How has God used people? Maybe God used you and revealed something to you at a retreat on January 3rd to the 5th using some old pastor to speak something. Maybe God is doing something now. Don't be rebellious. Don't come from a place of dishonesty. Don't come from a place of denial and rejection. Say, I don't want to hear it from you, God. I've heard it so many times before. I don't want to hear it. No, no, no. Be open-minded even if you're uncertain. Say, God, I do want to hear from you. God is always communicating to you in ways that may not always seem obvious, but he's speaking. And most directly, he's speaking through his word. Here's, here's a little uh, thing I've kind of learned throughout my, throughout my ministry. I find that most people who don't know God and who don't have the most, or I should say, who um, have a hard time communing with God, have a hard time going deeper with God, and who have the most doubts in their lives are the ones, okay, hear me out, are the ones who barely ever open their Bibles. Really. Like, it's so simple. The ones who doubt the most, the ones who question God the most, the ones who go with a closed-minded certainty, the ones whose, whose rebellious hearts and deny rejection of God and suppressing truth, those people, right, typically are ones who have never really opened the Bible, never really actually sought after God. And when they talk about quiet time, they say, Shh, I don't care for that. When they talk about prayer, we say, I don't have time for that. These are the people. And that doesn't make any sense. It's like this. If I went to a friend and I said, yeah, look, man, Grace and I, we're not having a good time. We're struggling right now, and, and uh, she's just not hearing me, and I just don't get her. It's just like radio static silence. And so my friend would say, well, how's the communication? And I'd say, well, I don't, I don't ever talk to her. He's going to be like, well, duh. Maybe that's the problem. Well, no wonder. Now, <clears throat> doubt is unhealthy. Because when doubt arises in our lives, we struggle with God. We struggle with God, and oftentimes these struggles are the result of some sort of crisis that happens in our lives, some traumatic event. Maybe it's the divorce of a parent. Maybe it's some sort of <coughs> broken relationship. Maybe it's the death of a friend or a loved one. The root of doubt is always sin, okay? It's always sin. And that sin, it always aims to fracture and fragment our fellowship and our understanding of God as our creator. Doubt 
has one, ob one objective, and that's to break you before God and break this fellowship that you have with God. So here's the good news. Did you know that even in your doubt, God can still use it? Even in your doubt, God can still use it. He can use that doubt to deepen your faith into maturity. <coughs> in a book called Gift of Faith, there's a quote from Gary Parker. He says this, If faith never encounters doubt, if truth never struggles with error, if good never battles with evil, how can we know the power of faith? Right? Remember, your faith is not perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, your faith is not perfect. But it is the object of your faith who is. Who you place your faith in is perfect. Can, you, can I hear an amen to that? Right? Who's your, who do you place your faith in? Mom, dad? Your pet? Pets are quite reliable. Those two dogs are so annoying. Right? No, it is the object of your faith who is perfect. It's not your prayer that has power. And so the louder you pray, does that mean God's like, oh, wow, well, I got to do something now. No. It's who you pray to who has the power. Amen? It's who you pray to. So as the problems of your life, as it stares <coughs> into the eyes of your faith, right? So when life and circumstance and difficulty, when it stares into the eyes of your faith, so what if you blink? As difficulty and circumstances and tribulations and trials, as it smacks you across the face and it puts its knuckles in front of you in your journey with Christ and you stumble and you struggle, so what if you flinch? So what if you flinch? Because only naive faith says, hey, I can withstand it all. Only naive faith says, I am invincible. Mm-mm. True faith, the faith that you and I want right now and that we want to mature and, and grow in, that kind of faith has to be tested. It has to be tried and it has to be proven true in the midst of these struggles. That's how you know the strength of your faith. That's how you know the gloriousness of God. That's how you know that God is with us. So today, you're probably going to hear something you never heard before. Be like Thomas. Be like Thomas. Yeah, he doubted, but guess what? He also believed that Jesus lived. Yeah, he doubted, but guess what? Thomas believed in what Jesus taught. Yeah, he doubted, but Thomas believed that the miracles he witnessed really happened. Yeah, he doubted, but he also believed that his Savior died on the cross and his Savior died as an innocent man, a victim of injustice. But you see, all that wasn't enough. And sadly, I think that's where some of us stop because we never kind of go beyond that. God tells us today, don't stop there. Don't just stop there saying that you have these doubts and uncertainties. To stop right there would be foolish because for Thomas, you see, he kind of pushed through that doubt. And how did he do that? He did that by willing, still willing to be part of the group of disciples. Think about that for a second. In his doubt, in his uncertainty, he still met with the other ten, even though all of them were fearful for their lives and had to meet behind locked doors. Thomas doubted, sure, but he never turned away from his disciples because to them, his disciples were his family, they were his brothers, they were the church, they were his body. So even when you doubt, 
Brothers and sisters, don't shirk back. Don't corner yourself. Do not isolate yourself. Do not remove yourself from the body of Christ. If anything, like Thomas, go deeper. You hear what I'm saying? Don't read less. Read more. Don't pray less. Pray more. Don't fast less. Fast more. If you are earnestly and earnestly seeking after the truth, be open-minded. God will reveal, but you got to do it from a place of honesty and say, God, I do want to know you more. I do want to know you more. There's really kind of three types of doubt that occurs in our lives. There's spiritual doubt, and maybe that's where you're at right now. This type of doubt is spiritual warfare, stuff that we prayed about. This type of doubt is like a tension between your spirit and the flesh, good versus evil. And oftentimes this type of doubt, it emerges as a consequence of poor life choices that we make. It results from the sins that we commit, from the giving in of temptations. And so the guilt, the consequences, the ramifications of our foolishness and submission, all that, it takes a toll on us spiritually. And so it creates spiritual doubt. But the second is also intellectual doubt. This is more of a healthy need to explore ideas and discover answers. Remember, we're called to love God with our souls and with our spirit, with our strength, and with our heart and minds. With our mind. And yet, <coughs> we're also willing to just jump up and down during worship and experience just the emotional and sensational aspect of God. So we get alarmed whenever we talk about, see those books back there that Jesse put out? How many of you guys are like, uh-uh. Like when we go deeper in our conversations and we want to go beyond just how do you feel, but what do you think? Are you going to be cl- close your mouth and be like, uh-uh. I don't want to show people how spiritually or biblically ignorant I am or whatever it is. Maybe that's where you're at right now. You just want to know more of who he is. You have question how the Bible was canonized about the days of creation. Is it young earth versus old earth versus gap theory? So you're curious and you're not sure. God, how could you possibly create everything in 24 literal hour days? And so you're curious. And so maybe you have an intellectual doubt. You just want to know more. You just want to grow in your intellect of who God is. And lastly, maybe you're experiencing emotional doubt. This type of doubt, it typically emerges from damaged feelings. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be so damaged. Who's got baggage? I do. Man, you get prideful. Who's got baggage? I got baggage. You don't want to open that door. Y'all think right now as a pastor I'm all pious and, and spiritually healthy and all this stuff. Man, I struggled. I got a lot of things that are going on in my life too. Maybe you have emotional doubt. I certainly did. This type of doubt comes from damaged feelings. For example, maybe you're hurt by a church member. Huh? Anyone been there? And so you masquerade this pain as kind of a spiritual problem. And you say this. Let's say I got beef with Jay. Right? I got beef with you. Because I asked for a big coffee and he gave me a chai latte. And I got beef with him. 
but he's a member of our church. I love this, this guy is a brother. He worships with me. He goes to Bible study with me. He does life group with me and all that stuff, but he hates me. I kind of have this friction and this kind of, you know, I'm, I have this angst against him and all that stuff. And so what do I do? There's this kind of broken relationship and I say, uh-uh. So I believe that God is telling me to go to another church. You get that? How many times have you done that or thought that or known people who do that? There is a relational issue. There's an emotional friction that occurs and we say, oh, it's a spiritual. Yes, it's spiritual, but we say, oh, God is telling me to go here or do that. Uh, God is saying this, reconcile, submit, repent. Approach that brother before the sun sets and seek forgiveness. Be humble. This type of doubt usually makes its first appearance the moment that we feel disconnected between God and the problems that we of life are facing. And I firmly believe, yes, there are spiritual doubts that we have. Yes, there are intellectual doubts. But I firmly believe that emotional doubts are one of the biggest issues that a lot of church people experience. And we blame it on God, don't we? Uh-uh, blame yourself. Blame your sins. So I say to you all, don't play games with God. Face the question you have. Lay them up before God. Seek answers. Don't remain complacent in your knowledge of him. Don't settle for cotton candy. No cotton candy. No cotton candy. I mean, you can eat it. But no cotton candy spirituality. It may taste good for a second. But it is just error. Don't settle for cotton candy Christianity. But like many things in scripture... The resurrection of Jesus, guess what, is propositional. Meaning, either Jesus rose from the dead or he did not. If he did, we all have one choice. Like Thomas, we got to worship him and we got to serve him. If he, didn't, if he did not rise from the dead, then guess what? Let's pack up, stop this, and go home. Right? You see, when Thomas finally understood the reality of what happened, Thomas went beyond the cotton candy religion. It was at that moment that he truly understood that Jesus, he wasn't just some great man. He wasn't just some great rabbi or some great leader or some great teacher. He wasn't just some kind guy who became a martyr. No, at this moment, Thomas realized that Jesus was none other than the living God in a body who had risen from the dead because even death could not hold him. And so he had no choice but to realize all I could do for the rest of my days is to worship you even though my faith is frail I will worship you even though I don't know and I have uncertainties I will worship you you see even when he didn't fully get it he worshiped him because living in faith is not about worshiping when you have all the answers okay I want to say that again Living in faith is not about worshiping when you or once you have all the answers. Living in faith is about worshiping Jesus even when you don't. That's faith. Faith with some doubt. So go ask God your questions. Bring to the cross your doubts. Jesus ain't afraid of you. He'll lead you. He'll answer you. Why? Because he already knows you. Okay? Let's pray. So would you hear today, as your heads are bowed, as your eyes are closed, I mean, you can, you can stand around and back for all I care. <coughs> 
But man, God's pressing something on your heart. He's pushing. Where are you? Is your, is your, are your doubts? Because look, we all got doubts. We all face uncertainties. But is it? Are those doubts coming from a place of rebelliousness? A place of unbelief? A place saying, you know, God, even if you did tell me your truth, I wouldn't want it. That's rebellion. That's pride. That's saying, I know better, God. I know better than you. Or the confusion, the uncertainties that, uncertainties that you have in life, is it coming from a place where you're just desperate? And like Thomas, yeah, he questioned, but you know what? That, those questions, those doubts, it came from a heart that still longed for Jesus. It still longed for Jesus. It still longed for truth. It still longed for grace. It still longed for mercy. It's longed for answers. But it was, a, it was a heart that had already committed itself to Christ. It just happened that he didn't understand everything that had happened. And that's okay. In your college life or at this point in your life right now, wherever you are, whether you're working or at school or whatever, all these questions are coming up. Don't suppress it. Don't push it down and say, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and live my life and be the way I am. Uh, God, he's going to push you. He's going to push you. Because he does not want you to get too comfortable. Because if God is your God, if you are his child, no father in his right mind or heart would allow his children to remain nursing on milk. No father in their right mind or heart would allow their children to remain complacent. So, before we go into the last songs, before we take some time meditation, um, pray, pray. You know what you're wrestling with? Pray. Walk around, pray. Do what you gotta do. This is now or never. Don't wait till Sunday, right? Don't wait till next year. Don't wait till when you think you're spiritually ready. Or you have no idea. This could be your last day. Get ready now.